Got my summer ponytail going on. <laughs> California girls are undeniable. What is the song? I don't know. Katy Perry. Yeah. Yeah. You're never going to have a cover band if you – Pajamas on top. <laughs> what did she say? It's We're never going to have a cover band. It's bikinis on top. Bikinis on top. Yes, <laughs> toast. Okay. I'm sorry. I should not have ever tried to sing that lick. I feel like that is just so representative of your life, my life, <laughs> that we you, we used to think it was bikinis on top, but now it's pajamas. Now it feels like it's probably pajamas on top, right? Isn't that- no way would someone sing bikinis, <laughs> bikinis on top. <laughs> Who is doing Surely that? Surely they meant pajamas. <laughs> Can we make it flannel? California's so cold, funny. right? Okay. <laughs> All right. Welcome to Montessori Moms in the Wild. We are three trained Montessori guides and new moms. We are not here to be your guide per se, but simply to share, commiserate, and even inspire each other on this wild journey. Each episode, we will discuss a different element of the Montessori philosophy, explaining why it is one we find so important and interesting, and then take turns being blatantly honest about how we succeed and struggle with these practices in real life. There is no Montessori album for parenthood, and we are certainly in no shape to write one. Our hopes are that together we can remind ourselves of what is important to us as Montessorians and as mothers in a way that might help other parents, or at least entertain them. So sit back and relax as we take Montessori out of the textbooks and into the wild. Welcome everyone. My name is Megan. I'm a mother of two with Montessori training in lower elementary ages six to nine. I am joined by Laura, mother of one with her training in lower and upper elementary ages six to 12. And we're kind of here with Rachel. So she has called in for just a minute to say hi and kind of give us a mini update as she rocks her little newborn in her arms. So yeah, she won't be joining us for the whole episode, but she just wanted to pop in and say hi. So I'll let you go first, Rachel. How are you? Hi, I'm good. We're we're good, really. I mean, she's a really good baby compared to what I experienced with my first. <laughs> you never get two of the same, right? Yeah. Well, I think too, you're just better at it. You know, like I was so worried about all the things. Is he breathing? Is he, are we yeah. doing this? I need to feed him. Da, da, da. And you just know, I'm just not as anxious as I was, which is nice. You're a professional mama. You know what not you're doing. So oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> But I feel much more prepared this go around. That's nice. That's yeah, a nice okay. feeling. Delivery was really great. So thankfully I had labored for two weeks and she came in like an hour. So glad we made it to the hospital. Yeah, you're not kidding, man. We got the text message that you were headed to the hospital shortly. It was like, and what, then 4:30, like 4.30 and then we got the message at 6.30. 20. It's like, here she is. <laughs> we were like, holy cow, Rachel. They checked us in at 5.39 at like triage. And I was at like a six and then she was born at 626. So we were not even in the room like an hour before she uh, came on out, which was nice. Well, it's good to see you and hear from you. And thanks for jumping on really to say hi. I'm happy to be back. Laura, you're up. Okay. I 
don't even know what to share about my week. I know. I was going to say, are you going to tell us really how you're doing? (laughs) (laughs) Just openly weep into the microphone for the next hour straight. Yeah. At the time that you will all hear this, we've come back from the break. We're well into summer. Like life is great. But at the time that I'm actually recording this right now, the last day of school is in a day and a half. It is Wednesday night. Last day of school is Friday. It's a half day. And oh, this week has had, I mean, if you have ever been an educator, you know, at the end of the school year is jam packed with special events and fun outings and parent things and just like so much stuff. And it's very not your normal structure and it's dysregulating. The kids are done. They're ready for summer. The adults are done and ready for summer. And it's hot now. It's hot where we are. (laughs) So I spent the day on a field trip in like a hundred degree sweltering heat with 23rd graders. Like, (laughs) bless you. (laughs) Can you please line up in a straight line? (laughs) You know, like it was just We're almost there, though. We're so close. And as we discussed on the last recording of an episode, that's very bittersweet for me. And I won't even begin to get into that. But I will just say I am not great right now, but I am happy to be here. And I already feel better just seeing your faces, Mm. especially that little squishy one with a little pink butt sticking up right there. And by that, I mean Rachel's baby. Everybody relax. Garrett with his (laughs) his boxers on. Oh, my God. Stop. (laughs) So yeah, thank you guys for existing. <laughs> it's really helping me right now. How about you, Megan? Sometime in a, in another episode, we'll have to talk about the last third year trip that you and I went on. Oh and my the, god! <laughs> People the story are not that ready that for that. Um, I'm good. There's a fly terrorizing me right now. Yeah. I don't know if you can see it, Rachel. It is like it is out to get me. And it is. It keeps dive bombing the camera. It has been for a long time now. And it gets like bigger every time it goes by. Oh, do you see it? Yeah. There it yep. went. So that's very distracting. But yeah, I am also terrible. <laughs> oh, good. Good, <laughs> good. Coming good. to this podcast with some positivity. I um, spent the evening hiding in my kitchen behind some cabinet doors from my children. <laughs> 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 just like I just needed a minute and so I put on a movie and then like went and like huddled down in the kitchen and just hoped that they just would be so entranced in the movie that they wouldn't need anything from me and as I was like crouched down in the corner I was like oh my god <laughs> <laughs> what is my life <laughs> one what is my life and two I don't think I'm okay <laughs> like this I'm not good. So, um, yes, I see you and I match you. We're not good. Yeah, I don't know why. I just feel like if I'm going to make this a therapy session, I just feel like everything just feels really heavy right now. And it's just a lot. And then you add on little people who need everything from you and not just that but they like feel that stress like they're feeding off of me I'm sure yeah and so this is my little reminder to myself to maybe take some time to kind of recharge and refresh or if I can't do that then at least maybe address some of the some of the reasons that I'm crouched down in this in the the cupboards in the cupboards (laughs) with the pots and pans from my children 
Yeah, they didn't need me for a while, which was really nice. And then all of a sudden I hear my daughter, she shoots up and she's like, Mama, where'd you go? <laughs> and I was like, oh, no, they found me. smart. Yeah. And then I and then I heard my younger one who he's like starting to talk now, too. So he's just like, Mama, Mama, Mama. And I was just like, oh, well, my cover has been blown. So, yeah. So that's been my week. Yeah. So ironically, the one of the three of us who's like in the trenches of postpartum <laughs> is doing the best of all three of us. So good job, Rachel. Adder, she's well, lying to us. <laughs> I am home with my husband with help. So that's I mean, true. So you're not in a classroom. Like, yeah, no. If I was at school, I would. I would be in the same place you were right now. <laughs> yeah, helpful. I feel like I've already been on break for two weeks. A different break. Yeah. You know, not really yeah. a break, but a break from what has been hovering, you know. So. Yes. All right. Well, awesome. On that note. <laughs> yeah. On that note. <laughs> we're so positive. <laughs> well, I already said I'm happy to be here. I need this. This is a therapy for me. So I'm going to feel better by confessions. I can tell. Yeah. We're about to be able to have so many play dates. Yeah. Yes. That is a huge highlight. Summertime for teacher friends means play dates, play dates, play dates, play dates. I love it. So let's get into today's topic. Okay. This week, we are thrilled to introduce our guest, Shazadi, Montessori professional, founder of My Monty Home. Shazadi is certified in Montessori education from birth through six years old from the Montessori Institute of San Diego, which is AMI-based. She has a master's degree in Montessori education from Loyola University in Maryland. And through her experience as a teacher and working with parents, she found a need for access to high-quality Montessori materials at a reasonable cost. This is how My Monty Home was born. We are so excited to hear from Shazadi and learn from her impressive and extensive dedication to the Montessori method. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Oh, Megan, you are on mute. This also I'm always is on like mute. a constant thing. <laughs> You'll just see her like gesturing. Thank God she gestures so much or I'd have no idea she was talking at all. Okay. So what I was saying is there are two reasons that I'm super excited to have you on the podcast. So we met at the AMS conference. And if anybody's been, I mean, it's just like a normal conference. If you've ever been to any kind of conference, and there's this big hall of all of these booths, and they are offering all these different kinds of resources for schools and for parents and teachers. So I was so drawn to your booth, you had like your whole family there in their like matching shirts. It was so cute. And just like seeing that support system and like trust in you and your business was so special. And then we had a conversation and kind of unintentionally, there has been this theme lately in the podcast for guests and Laura and I personally, of people leaving the profession of teaching to serve families in a different way and teaching especially, but really in any career, there is this tie in this identity to teaching, like I'm a teacher, and it can feel nearly impossible to do anything else. And so I just think it's so inspiring about how you started this company and how your whole family has rallied behind you. And so can you just tell us a little bit about how My Monty Home came to be? Yeah, well, first of all, it was great meeting you at the show too. And so I'll talk about my journey and kind of like how my family got involved. So I guess I'll start at the beginning. So 
When I was young, my parents were looking for a preschool for me to go to, and they toured a Montessori school. But at that time, they didn't have, you know, the financial stability to be able to pay for a Montessori school. It's so expensive. Yeah, it's it's really hard. And so instead, I went to preschool, all that. And then fast forward a few years, my brother and sister were born. And by then, they were at a good place financially. So they actually did send my brother and sister to Montessori. And they're only like 18 months apart. So it was great seeing that. I remember like my sister would come home from school and she'd talk about everything she did, meal prep, cutting bread. I'm like, wow, they let you do that in school? What? (laughs) And we just still see the effects of Montessori throughout the years. They're both in college now. One of them's going to grad school and just that intrinsic love of learning has been with them for so long. Then come high school, you know, I'm graduating, trying to figure out what college I want to go to, not sure what I want to do. I was like, okay, I'll be an orthodontist, which is so far from where I am. And then one day my dad had a sit down conversation and he's like, look, you don't want to be in people's teeth all day. (laughs) (laughs) Trust me. (laughs) Yes. And he was just like, you love working with children. So why don't you look into Montessori? You know, your brother and sister went through it. Just something to look into. So I went to college. You know, I did my special education at uh, University of Georgia. And right from there, I graduated, moved to San Diego two weeks later and started my AMI training in San Diego. And I did the dual program for birth to six years. And after I came back, I worked as a toddler teacher. And the teacher that left before me had her own materials in the classroom. So I was at ground zero at that point. Because she took everything with her. She took everything. Yeah. Everything. Um, And I was not prepared for that. And you know how it is. Schools have a yearly budget. How am I supposed to fill up a whole classroom with like $300. Like it was like, that's when I realized like, this is really difficult. I don't have the budget. I had to make a lot of things on my own, just figure out different, you know, practical life activities on my own. And then over time was able to build all the materials that I needed. And it just always bothered me. Like, why, why is it only a $300 budget? Like, how am I supposed to make this happen and all that? Well, and that these specific materials, if you were to go to any of the major catalogs out there, all the major suppliers of classroom materials, $300 is, you're going to... You can buy one thing. Yeah. Like barely, barely outfitting one shelf with that kind of money, let alone a classroom. Like, forget about it. It's so expensive. Exactly. So I just, it didn't make sense to me. Um, And then the next year I went on the, like I worked in administration So I kind of saw the school side of it Mm. (laughs) and how they can't have such a hefty budget. You know, they want to be able to provide for classrooms, obviously, but it's just not as feasible as you would think. The other side I saw was that parents are wanting to bring Montessori at home and they don't know where to begin or they notice, hey, I saw my child like really is interested in this item in the classroom. Where can I find it? How are we supposed to tell them that one item? probably cost like 60 to $100. Yeah. And it's not worth it for them to have at home. So then 
the pandemic happened. <laughs> and I started my Monty Home initially as a consultation company to help parents design a Montessori environment or understand how to bring the philosophy at home, because there's not that much information for that out there. And you can only learn so much from like one parent teacher conference, you know, right. So as I'm doing my research for the consultation company, I'm like, okay, let's look for products and all that. That's when I'm also realizing there's really not that much out there. And like you said, whatever is out there, all those big companies, they're just charging an arm and a leg and it's not practical for parents to have it. So that kind of started our products and we worked really hard, developed them, worked with our manufacturers and were able to bring the cost significantly lower than other companies and just creating a resource for parents to learn more about Montessori and how to incorporate it at home. That's amazing, especially because I love how it started being consulting because it's like you said, okay, go spend all this money on this material, but then you also don't know what to do with it. Mm -hmm. I know even I've done that where I've invested in whatever it is for my child for my home and I bring it into the house and I'm like, okay, now what? Because she just walked right past it like she didn't care or threw it on the floor. And so if you don't have that kind of intangible resource also of being able to learn about the philosophy on top of being able to afford these products... That's really cool. And a really interesting idea how it like authentically and organically happened. So tell us a little bit more about that, about how a lot of times your work with parents is just explaining the philosophy before they're worrying about Montessori toys, quote unquote. So what do you normally tell parents as like the purposes behind these materials that they're even seeking out in the first place to give them a better idea of what they're looking for and why they're even looking for it? Right. So I guess like the biggest question you have to start with is what is my child gaining from this material or this toy, right? There's so many toys out in the industry right now. And it's really hard to figure out, okay, what's beneficial, what's not. So the biggest thing for Montessori materials are they're purposeful, right? Like they develop a certain skill, such as the pincer grip, or, you know, it helps develop the wrist, or it helps tackle object permanence. There's a purpose to every material, it's not there just to take space on your shelf or look pretty, right? Although Montessori materials can be very beautiful because um, normally they are wooden, use primary colors, but more than that, it's the purpose of the material. What is my child learning from this? So that's the biggest thing. I know there's a lot of expensive materials out there and it can be a little overwhelming figuring out what to get, what not to get. So my biggest thing is just observe your child see what they need in this moment. You might notice, hey, my child looks like they're interested in dressing and undressing, but they're struggling with the buttons. Maybe you can get them a dressing frame that can help them practice that skill. It's not necessary, you know, if your child knows how to zip and unzip that you get them a zipper dressing frame, that's just going to be taking up space on your shelf that could be used for something else that can help your child. The other thing is you don't want it to be overstimulating things that make a lot of noise unnecessarily, have lights, a lot of different colors. You want to focus on one skill at a time, one focus at a time. And then along with materials, you don't need so many toys, right? Like in Montessori, in life in general, less is more. Yeah. Amen. Yes. Amen, sister. <laughs> in life in general. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, you can have like two, three Montessori materials at a time, but, you know, even Maria Montessori pushed that the child learns the most from their environment, from experiences in their environment. 
So just including them in practical life skills, like having having like brush their hair or blow their nose, dressing and undressing, even like in the kitchen, meal prepping or helping in some way. You don't have to have so many materials or toys, but if you do, it's just important to look for things that provide purpose. I love that. That makes a ton of sense. Megan, I thought that you were going to like jump out of your skin when she said, just start by observing. (laughs) Like before you go buy all the toys that you think you're supposed to have. Do you think you know me? You were like, you turned a little bit red. Like you did a really good job of keeping yourself contained. Just like sweating. (laughs) Because we are always pushing that, right? Like just observe them, just observe and just see if that's even something they're into or observe them and see if that seems to be a sensitive period. Just the power of observation. That is truly where you start with any of these concepts. I feel like we talked about this a little bit in the prepared environment episode about how these basic skills, these are what we're trying to support. So we don't need to put a bunch of things on the shelf just to put them there. And so I love how you said, like, my child wants to dress themselves. They're getting frustrated. So we're observing a need and then we are adapting the environment to meet that need. And so I feel like that part gets missed a lot. We find this really cool toy or material and everyone has it on Instagram. So, oh, I'm going to get it and I'm going to put it on the shelf. And then, like I said, my child doesn't touch it. And that first part that we have to remember is that we have to observe first because we are following our child, their unique needs, their unique skills, and their unique journey. And that's kind of the magic sauce, I feel like, and so simple yet so easy to miss. So yeah, I love, I love that. I forgot where I am. I have the next question. (laughs) Okay. So we have a lot of listeners with infants and they are very excited that you're here. What would you recommend they focus on when attempting Montessori from the very starts? Like a Rachel, they, they brought their baby home. They want to start this philosophy from the very beginning, but aren't really sure what to do with that little human on the floor that doesn't do a ton. You know, how do they set up that environment? How did they implement this philosophy from the beginning? The baby's asleep more often than not. (laughs) So like, what do toys look like? What does that playtime look like with an infant? Right. Okay. So we briefly touched on this. Basically, we have to have a prepared environment, right? So we've talked about how we don't want our toys or materials to be overstimulating. The same goes for the environment. If you're creating a nursery or, you know, the play area, whatever it is, kind of keep it neutral and not so much going on in the room. You don't need to overclutter the environment, just the necessities. Same with colors and all that. At that beginning stage, we do the Montessori mobiles. So starting with the Munari, the Octahedron, the Gobi, and the Dancers, And mobiles are typically from ages birth to three months. So you can start that from the very beginning. And we start with the Minari because it is black and white. And at that point, we're trying to train the visual sense. So that's the purpose of the mobiles is to explore the visual sense and kind of have the child practice tracking with their eyes. What's important during this time is that you don't distract the child as much if they're just laying there and they're in awe looking at these shapes move that's perfectly fine just let them concentrate because that's another skill they're developing at the moment so mobiles are a great way to start introducing Montessori another thing that you can do is rattles wooden rattles are really good as well and they help 
the tactile sense. They help hand-to-hand transfer, develop voluntary movement, and even the auditory sense if it shakes or makes noise. And infants explore with their mouths. So, you know, it's good for them to put in their mouth, explore it, move it around. And that's why we kind of say wooden materials instead of plastic so that they're non-toxic, organic, safe for them. Another thing, though, besides the materials is just you being there, right? Like the parent-child relationship is so important. And Maria Montessori emphasized how important this beginning time is for a parent with their child. So talking to them while you're changing them, kind of introducing language, singing songs is really important as well. Reading books, just kind of like involving them. Obviously don't, you know, have a mobile going and then music in the background and a rattle in the hand. That's too much. That's very overstimulating. But, you know, focusing on one thing at a time is really important. And I think, you know, that's a great place to start is just the connection between parent and child, between child and siblings, kind of nurturing that. I love that because that's free, you know, like hang out, let the baby hang around the family, just like be involved in the family life. I actually find that really valuable, that tip of advice of just let them stare at the mobile thing. You don't have to narrate or use language at all. And like, that's big for me. That's helpful for me because I don't know if you guys realize this, but I do a lot of talking. Like I just like can't (laughs) stop talking. I want to talk to my child. I want to talk to her all the time and just say all the things and discuss all the things. And I have to like actively check myself and remember I don't have to do that. In fact, sometimes it's actually really, really helpful to just let it be quiet and not ask her what she sees or what she thinks or whatever the case is. You know, like she's working. That's her working. I recently saw a post that likened it to someone walking up behind you and being like, I see you typing an email. I noticed you used a capital I. Did you want to use a lowercase I? You know, like, (laughs) can you imagine? Can you imagine if you were working and someone just narrated everything? I hate, 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 hate when someone looks at my screen while I am typing. It feels like they are jumping into my brain and stealing all of my thoughts. (laughs) How self-conscious do you get when someone is watching you typing? I'm done. Like I, I love that so much. Just get on the other side of the table. And I feel like it can be really like a burden lifted off of a new mom who's exhausted, hasn't slept in who knows how long and is sitting there thinking, oh my gosh, I have to play the classical music and I have to talk to them and show them the black and white book and I just sing a song and make up a rhyming game. And yeah. And it's so nice to be like, you know, here's this very simple, very simplistic. If you have the opportunity to go look at my Monty home at the mobiles, they're so simple and They and I kind of want to talk to you about those, but they're so simple (laughs) and you can just put them up and just let them work because that is their work. And I love that you said that too, Laura, because that's a really great way to frame it is that it's this is their work. And you can also just I've said it before, you can just sit back and drink your coffee hot if they're happy there, then then let them be. So I I'm not infant trained. And so I am so interested in the mobiles. And I don't know if anybody else cares who's listening, but the philosophy behind them and just like the way that they are sequenced and the way that they are developed for each phase of eye development. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Because I don't know much about it and I find it so fascinating. 
Yeah. So we start with the Minari because it's black and white, right? And at that point, that early on in life, they can't see colors. So we try to do black and white so that they can see the different shapes better. They can see the movement a lot better. And then Bonari is usually birth to two months or unless you see your child's not interested anymore, which can happen. You know, every child develops at a different rate. We move on to the octahedron, which starts introducing colors and you have your primary colors, red, yellow, blue. And it is made of this shiny paper. I don't know if you've ever seen one in person, but basically if you had your windows open and it's swaying in the air and the light catches, they'll also be able to see that a little bit, which is pretty cool. And then you have the Gobi. And so the Gobi is five spheres and they're threaded with different shades of a color. So we have it in pink, blue, and green. And it's different shades, like lightest to darkest. So that way you can start developing, seeing different shades of colors, which is something that takes a while. Um, I know that's like a primary activity. You see it with different things. The tablet. The color mm-hmm. box. The, yeah, that tablet box yeah. where you have them in different gradations of a color and you have to sort them. Exactly. Which is a really refined skill for the senses. Yeah, so that's kind of starting from at that time to see the gobi. Um, and then after that, you have the dancer. So you're introducing different shapes, different colors. And as they move, like I said, it catches the light. And it just really grabs a child's attention and helps them track like as it's moving, as it's swaying on its own, really captures their attention and helps them develop their eyes and the tracking sense and the visual sense. I just love them so much because it's very different from a traditional nursery where you would just pick a mobile that matches your, you know, like if you're doing lambs, you're going to get a little lamb mobile. And it's just so intentional about the way that they are developing in that time. And so I just think that that's so cool. And I remember telling you at the conference that I attempted to make all of these mobiles by myself. And it was the worst decision I've ever made. (laughs) Like halfway through, I was like, this was a terrible decision. I don't know why I thought I could do this. And so I'm just so grateful to people like you who are much more artistic and able (laughs) to do things like that. It was a requirement for us at training to make the mobiles. It's hard. It it was, I'm telling you, I had blood, sweat, and tears in training. Like, (laughs) it's it's very hard, especially the Gobi, because you have to, like, be That was the one I was, like... You have to like measure it because they have to hang at a certain degree. And I was like, you know what? Forget this. I'm going to order one online. But at that point, I had spent hundreds of dollars at like a craft (laughs) store. And I was like, I'm in it now. So yeah, (laughs) when I went to go get one for Rachel for her new baby, I was like, I am buying one this time. And she she loves the one that you – that you make. Yeah. So I just will say, I never, I did, had no idea what these things look like. I had an AMI trained friend who is also from Italy and may or may not be Marie Montessori reincarnated. I'm not <laughs> sure. <laughs> Valentina, if you're out there, I'm on to you. She really hooked me up with a lot of birth, toddler years type of informational training as I was pregnant and she was passing to me a lot of the stuff that she had done with her own kids. And she did not give me a black and white mobile, but told me about about the importance of like high contrast and simple imagery and how they're getting so much more out of that than like rainbows and teddy bears in pajamas floating over their heads. But I didn't have one. I just, I actually ended up getting the Love Every playmat where there's like some really great black and white cards and stuff, but I'd not seen something like that until 
Rachel posted the picture when, when it arrived and I was like, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Like it's so, it's like modern, chic, minimalist vibe. I feel like it would go in like any house. It's not like your big, ridiculous baby thing that you can't wait to get rid of because it's like no, ridiculous. You know what I mean? And like the way they move, you know, they don't, they're not like those, you've seen those ones that are like battery powered that you put over the crib and they like move in a circle, but mm-hmm. they move so beautifully. And yeah, I mean, like I said, I'll never make them again, but once, <laughs> once you, but we are so glad. Yeah. We're so that glad that someone exist. else does. Well, but, if you are ever ambitious, we have a DIY version on our website. You do. That's a great plug. So yeah. any, is, yeah. if you are artistic out there, if you are able to, you know, cut and paste and, and there's a there's a level of patience that's needed to hang a mobile like me (laughs) if if you are the most patient person in the world it's hard second plane teacher over here not (laughs) yeah not into it um yeah I feel like I went very off script but I was really wanting to talk to you about that also other question is it mobile or mobile. Oh, thank you. Or <laughs> mobile. Mobile. Yeah. No, that's the thing because mobile is like a phone, right? So a mobile or a mobile. Mobile for sure means like moving. <laughs> you're moving. If you're mobile, you're going from here to there. You're you're moving. I was thinking about this in the shower. I was like, hmm, which one is it? Yep. I thought about it as soon as I waited until both of you said the word before I said it and you both went with mobile. So I'm go, I've been saying mobile. It's just a social construct. I would have said mobile for the thing that hangs above a baby, but maybe that's only supposed to be for Alabama, right? There's a mobile Alabama. Maybe that's the only time you say that. Maybe it's mobile otherwise. Maybe this is just like the special Montessorian pronunciation. <laughs> I mean, because that's how we got it in training. So that's what okay. I said. Okay. <laughs> okay. And I'm okay. going to take, take that as law then. We're going to default to mm-hmm. that. It was an AMI training, guys. Yes. I don't so, know if you realize. That's oh, like, that's, a, a big that's deal. a good thing to find out. Like, yeah. Is, is there a difference in pronunciation between AMI and AMS? They <laughs> 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 probably stand firm in their pronunciation. <laughs> yeah. See, I'm a plebeian AMS certified instructor over here. But I don't do. <laughs> I didn't do birth to in. In birth to infant, that makes perfect sense. Do you see how out of my element I am discussing this right now? So yeah, let's try to go back to let's try to go back to this list of questions. I'm sorry, but I was really curious. Okay. Yeah, no, I'm actually really glad you brought it up too because I have been nervously just mumbling over that word this whole time because I don't potato, know what to believe potato, anymore. Mobile mobile. Mobile. I mean, it could be either. I'm thinking about the the spelling's the same in both I'm situations. Channeling my Orton Gillingham CBC words. No, training. her Orton Gillingham. That's a magic e word, and there is no way around it because there's no time that you pronounce the unless e, so it's a magic origin, e, which means it's making the i a long i. Unless the origin is different, not English. Mm-hmm. Or yep. Well, that's the problem with English is most of our words were borrowed from somewhere okay. else. It doesn't matter. We need to move on. <laughs> kind of matters. <laughs> okay, you keep going and I'm going to look it up. Can you Google it? I'm going to Google it. Make sure that it doesn't have different pronunciations for different oh, definitions. Yeah, the first one, it says British English versus 
American English. And this is what we do. <laughs> I mean, it's interesting. I mean, because if you think about it, like in AMI, our trainers, they weren't originally from America, right? Like, so they got right. their training in Spain or, you know, some, I mean, I think my trainer got her training in Spain. So like, it might be influenced by that. In which case, would it not be like mobile or something, <laughs> you know? Okay, before we move on, though, we just want to go over a couple of things that we got from listeners via the Instagram account, some questions, comments, knowing that you were coming on today. So let's start with parents that are looking for information about how to set up an environment for an infant to have some independent time, right? So like the example, I think the specific person that asked is a mom with a, how many, how old? Very, very, very small. Little. You just yeah. said it, but a few I- few weeks old. Very, like few weeks old, you're, you know, nursing, you're pumping, you're having to wash pump parts, you're trying to do literally anything without the baby in your arms for just a second. What does that look like? We've talked a lot about how parents, a lot of parents just think to go right to bouncers and swings and like containment things, right? So that you know the baby is like in the same spot you put them and they're safe. But what could be an alternative to that? What's a what's a more Montessori way to deal with that? Yeah, so a good setup, if you know, you're worried about what's my child doing, would be something a small area that's within your view like if you're going to be spending your time in the kitchen or you know running errands um, something that's within within your view if you don't have much of a space all you need is a mat an activity gym and you can put a mobile up there and just give your child time to really concentrate and look at it if you have more of a space we can put up a mirror against the wall which eventually you could put a bar once you're ready to stand so it kind of like you can build up in that area but if you're limited i would say just having a mat that's safe for them and then the activity gym and mobile and then you can even if you don't want to do the activity gym you can do a rattle, a small rattle that they can practice transferring from hand to hand with, explore with their mouth, just learning with their hands, with their mouth from their environment, even just letting them lay there, playing some music in the background, letting them absorb that. Children don't need to be held or interacted with all the time. Sometimes just let them be, let them learn from their environment, absorb things in the environment, you know, language, music, the most that they're going to learn from is their environment. Yeah. And I would say, so my, my daughter, she, she hated to be put down a lot of the times she wanted to be held all the time, which is totally normal. They've lived inside of you. You are home to them. And so if that is the case for you, I would suggest just try and you might be surprised at how often they might be interested in that mobile if it's something that they like maybe switch it out, find something that catches their attention. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. And then try it again the next week window. So I know it's really hard, but try not to get discouraged and just take it when you can and try. And if it doesn't work, that's okay too. Try not to feel defeated. You can try it the next week window. There's always more opportunities to do that. Yeah. And like we said before, follow your child, you know, your mm -hmm. child best. If in that moment you feel like, okay, no, they need to be held in this moment. That's mm -hmm. okay. It's not necessary for them to have independent time all the time. Yeah. It's just, I feel like, and I don't know if you did this too, Laura, but sometimes you start to create this narrative of your child. Like, like I just said, oh, my child doesn't like to be on their own. They don't like this. Oh, I can't put her I down. I can't because she won't let me. And so that's what I mean about offering it. So we always offer and I was always surprised at how often she did need that. And it was like, oh, 
okay. And sometimes, of course, there were those days or weeks where she just like wouldn't let me put her down. But instead of creating this narrative about your child that they just don't like it, maybe they just don't like it today. Maybe they don't just like it in this moment. Maybe they have other needs that they need to be fulfilled, but keep trying. That's my advice is to keep trying. Consistently offering, Mm -hmm. definitely the key. Especially at this age, yeah. they don't even know what they like yet. You know, you got to give them a couple, a couple passes at everything. Okay, another question came through. Said, "I'm planning on homeschooling my child who is nine months old right now, but how can I set up the environment early, basically now, to start that process of what will eventually be more of a academic classroom situation, but for a nine month old?" Yeah, so I would say pick a room or a corner of a room that you have available. And I would start with putting a shelf, um, a low shelf with a few materials that they're already used to, that you've already had them playing with and let them crawl to it when they're interested. You don't want to put all new furniture, all new toys all at once, because that can be a lot of change. So you want to introduce things a little bit at a time. So have a few familiar items. And then once you see, okay, I think they've gotten tired of this one, or they're ready for more of a challenge, switch out one of the materials. I know we talk about like toy rotation, shelf rotation all the time. So that would kind of be introducing that rotation. So just observe your child, see what they need in that moment. And try switching out the materials. At first, they'll work from the floor, but eventually once they're ready to work from a table, you can add table that's their size, chair that's their size, and then start putting more materials higher up on the shelf, kind of, okay, now you can do this. And just having child-sized materials is really important. They want to learn how to write or color, whatever you want, something that's easy for them to hold or grip. So maybe start off with a thicker pencil in the beginning and you want to set the environment up for them to succeed so you don't want to have such a challenging pencil that they don't even know how to hold yet and discourage them so kind of just start from what they know and then build and make it more challenging um another thing we do is uh, we use trays or baskets to kind of organize the material so that way the child can get used to taking it off the tray and knowing that okay, all this stays together. When I'm done, I put it back on the shelf. So with Montessori work, it starts from taking it off the shelf, doing the work, and then putting it back. So showing that. So maybe in the beginning, once you're working with them, you can have the tray there. I know they won't be able to hold it up, but kind of showing them, bringing it to them. And when they're done, or you see that they're done working with it, put it back, kind of introducing it early on and creating that understanding. I feel like that's the kind of scenario where some of the teacher tips that we've been doing really would be helpful, like presenting things in baskets and trays for sure. We talked about presenting things in a left to right order, which is laying like the really early foundation of reading and writing and not even worrying about a pencil grip yet. You know, like those are the kinds of things that this person might be able to do sooner rather than later, just to sort of start laying those foundational skills for what will later become the academics in that space. Yeah. And just introducing less challenging, right? Like if there's a puzzle, instead of putting all the pieces on there together, 
just put one, like one shape there for them to practice and then add another shape and then another shape. So, so any of the materials on our website, we do give a little sheet for the parents on how to present it to their child. That's nice. Yeah. Cause there's no way to do it, right? You get the material and you're like, okay, well now what? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so it's important to kind of like ease the child into it. Yeah. Okay. The last one, I feel like we kind of already covered, but we also all three agreed that this is totally worth circling back to just in case anybody missed what you said earlier. So we had someone write in and said that they're experiencing some fatigue around entertaining their infant, navigating the short attention span plus minimal feedback regarding whether they are even enjoying what is going on makes that, you know, kind of challenging versus maybe just sitting quietly and letting him play on the floor at whatever he's doing, right? But feeling bad about not engaging with him when you're taking those quiet moments. But if he's content, is it okay to just sit here and be hands off and not narrating everything? So again, we kind of covered this, but this is such a common struggle mm-hmm. for new parents and parents of infants and you know nonverbal toddlers and stuff. So what do you want to say about that? Yeah, I mean, I think that's perfectly fine. Like you said, we mentioned it before, but if your child is there just content, they're probably focusing on their environment. They're taking something in from their environment that's interesting to them and they're concentrating on it and learning from it. Even the mobiles, they might not react But if they're just looking at it and they're still concentrating, they're still very much into the mobile, then let them be. That's them building on their concentration. It's not necessary to constantly like engage them. And I feel like parents also deserve a little break. So it's okay. (laughs) It's okay for you to have a break. It's definitely okay. Yeah, I feel like it makes you feel better too as a parent when you know you are taking a break, but also you're thinking of it as like, oh, my child's building concentration. Oh, my child's building focus. Oh, my child is, you know, working on their tracking skills. And that might help you if you're feeling guilty to be like, no, this is this is an important skill that they're learning. And if I distract them, I could be, you know, not letting them fully experience whatever it is in their environment that they are. So I love that that you're just being like, just just sit back, sit back, girl, take a break. Yeah, especially like when they get older, right? Like they're doing the materials and the lessons. If they're focused and they're repeating, they're learning from it and you don't want to distract that. So I guess, you know, it applies at this age too, that they're learning still. So it's okay to not be talking to them or engaging with them constantly. Yeah, I think that's the problem for so many parents, myself included, is that you go into it a lot of times with the very clear message from culture and society and whatever reading you did do that singing and reading and talking to your baby all the time is a great gift. Interact with your baby, involve your baby, all of those things, right? And to a degree, speak four languages to your baby. Exactly. (laughs) Their window is open now. Teach them everything. And I get that. And a lot of that is true, but where there's so much more to the picture of what's going on and how they're really developing the skills and what other skills are needing to happen behind the scenes that you can sometimes be trampling on when you think that you need to be just blah, 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 blah all day. And again, I say this to myself more than (laughs) anybody else out there listening. Yeah. And infants, they communicate whenever they need something. So if they are no longer interested in that independent time, they will let you know. So you're off the hook. Oh, yeah. (laughs) If they're done, they'll they'll tell you. Don't worry. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. 
if they're complying with that independent time, they're enjoying yeah. it. Just let them have it. It's all good. And it may be short-lived, just like that that listener mm-hmm. said. These are just like – these quiet moments are few and far between. Yeah. So I guess the overarching message is that it's okay. If anything, it yeah. is beneficial. But to everyone. Yeah. yeah. All right. I think that's it. I think that's everything. Thank you so much for sharing your experiences and wisdom with us and – where can our listeners go and find you and follow your journey with your business? Yeah, so you can find us on Instagram and Facebook, my Monty Home, M Y M O N T E H O M E. And you'll find us there and give us a follow because we're always posting informational stuff about our products and also tips on parenting and developmental skills. And you can even go on our website, mymontyhome.com, where we have our products. It's broken down by age range and it tells you in the product what age range we suggest this item is for but I'm always open like we have a chat box if you have a question hey I see my child doing this or I'm not sure what's age appropriate for them just send me a message or even dm me and I would be happy to answer your questions and you have a code for us right I do yes so if you go on our website and you see something you like, we have the code WILD10, WILD in all caps, for 10% off your purchase over $100, which if you're interested in the Montessori mobiles, we have a whole bundle to get you started. And actually, next month is our one-year anniversary, so we have some special launch coming up soon. Congratulations on one year. Thank you. I mean, it's been a journey, (laughs) Um, but it's it's been a great one. Very rewarding. That's awesome. Well, thank you for making some time for us tonight. Yeah, of course. Thank you for having me. Anytime. (laughs) We'll come knocking. (laughs) Let's finish out the show with a segment called Confessions from the Wilds. Laura, did you want to start? You know, I was going to confess that it has been (laughs) – I was going to confess that (laughs) – She can't even say it. (laughs) I was going to confess what I assume is pretty generic adult female, especially mom scenario, which is realizing that the last time that you shaved your legs – You did just as much as your pants were going to show for that outing, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I realized that I did that in a panic the other day because I wore pants that were like, I don't know what the fashion is called when they are like right about at (laughs) or above your ankle. You know what I'm saying? Right? Fashion. Yes. I'm familiar. Enough to show leg hair if you like sit down and they rise a little bit. Uh You're looking at me like you don't. No, I'm I'm looking at right now about. Do you? Why are you laughing at the fact that I don't know the proper fashion term when I literally opened this show with singing pajamas on top to Katy Perry's California Girls? Where's the surprise coming from? (laughs) I'm in a like neon orange. Being very defensive. Okay. Okay. Because <laughs> okay. I'm listening to you and I'm looking at you and you are just verbally assaulting me. <laughs> you are doubled over in laughter. You can't even look at me, actually. So how dare you? Rachel, and- break this up. <laughs> Rachel's like, I can't with these two. <laughs> she has two actual babies at home. I'm just wearing my Pizza Planet sweatshirt with like tanner and milk and sweat on it. So. <laughs> yeah. Tanner, milk and sweat. Oh my God. I love it. 
I love it. Rachel's self-tanner adventures continue to give me so much joy. (laughs) Um, Okay. My point in all of that was going to be that I realized (laughs) that I was going to open with I haven't shaved, but also wasn't sure is it haven't shaven? Is it haven't shaved or haven't shaven? Because you know how have changes a verb? Mm-hmm. From mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. I have taken the chicken out of the freezer versus yeah. I took the chicken out of the freezer. Right? Have changes the verbs conjugation. So yeah. is it haven't shaved or haven't shaven? Moving on from there, this it's episode. I haven't shaven. Right? Is I it? I haven't shaven in several weeks. Why does that sound weird when I say it? Because it's weird. It sounds weird. Haven't shaven. In pro- several you probably- weeks. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> several. <laughs> I haven't shaven in several years. Except now, just up to about <laughs> here, I have shaven. Up to about here. Okay. Also, this whole episode, as we already mentioned, now makes me question everything I knew about the word mobile versus mobile. And then Mm -hmm. um, this is one that's eaten away at me for nine solid years. I say elementary. And I noticed that you said it in the beginning too, elementary. But is it supposed to be elementary? Is there supposed to be a whole other vowel slash syllable in there? You said that and they sound exactly the same to me. Elementary elementary i know but i still hear like elementary elementary Elementary. like really putting some emphasis on that syllable yeah interesting interesting thank you yes (laughs) we need to start enunciating people yeah i mean or not because i prefer elementary and that's not, it's I guess, the, necessary. That's the same. <laughs> it's the same word. <laughs> losing your mind. Elementary. 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 <laughs> <laughs> and that's it. That's all I got. Well, that's interesting because I know someone whose husband is from Costa Rica. And he was asking his wife, he was saying, is it interesting or is it interesting? Yeah. Good question. I don't know. I say interesting, but I think for dramatic effect, I would say very interesting. interesting. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. But if I like just read something and was like, hey, here's something interesting. It's like, are you in my mind, in my brain? (laughs) Because this is what my confession is. Really? Yeah. Yeah. We both came with a how do you pronounce that word confession? Yeah. Yeah. But mine's more embarrassing. So no, I don't think so. (laughs) I don't think so. How about I'll let you be the judge. So. Put it in your brain. I am in the 10th grade. Okay. okay. I love am, it already. <laughs> I was in band. Okay. I played the saxophone. It's not as lame as it sounds. <laughs> Dude, the alto saxophone? Yes. Me too. Hey, Garrett did too. What? He played the baritone, he just said. Oh, well, that doesn't count. Okay, no, that's still, he's still a sax player, Megan. He's still Alto, in the club. Yeah, I have. Twinsies? There's oh. one in that closet Garrett back there. The very sax is a saxophone guy. I know it's it a totally saxophone, is. I'm saying you would just sit several chairs away. <laughs> <laughs> Megan. Garrett, you can sit next to me with your saxophone. Don't listen to our Scorpio friend, Megan. She's kind of crazy. Um, okay. So I like I went to a really small high school 
where all the kids in elementary school went to the same elementary school, went to the same middle school, went to the same high school. So it's really tiny and all of the extracurriculars, everybody does everything because there's not enough kids to do different things. So you do sports, you do band, you do 4-H, you do everything. Yeah. And so there was this group of boys that would sit behind me who were trumpet players. And I don't know why, but trumpet players are always just so cute. <laughs> is that true for you too in your band class? <laughs> or is it just the drummers? It's usually the drummers. <laughs> the drummers and the trumpet players. I wasn't in band. I was in choir. Right. Because you're the singer for this band. Yeah. We needed yeah. your choir expertise. I'm so glad you can that you went that way. You can with us just for the band purposes. <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> Okay, so I was sitting in band class and these cute boys were sitting behind me and randomly this boy taps on my shoulder and I turn around and he asks me, do you pronounce your name Megan or Megan? And I was frozen (laughs) because I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) That is, And I still don't know. It's Megan or Megan. (laughs) It's Megan. Okay. Megan. Megan. So my confession is that not only do I not know how to say mobile or mobile, but I don't know how to say my own name. (laughs) Hold on, though. Can you finish out that moment in your life where two boys said, how do you pronounce your name? And you went, I don't know, and turned around with your reed all wet in your mouth. Like, how – what did that – how did that end? Did they – did they I mean, I probably, it, I probably blacked out because I don't, I remember just being just so caught off guard and just sat there like, I don't know. And so I just said, <laughs> I don't know. And then I turned back around. <laughs> I think I said something like nobody's ever asked me that before. <laughs> okay. Nobody's asked me what my name is before. And yeah, so things didn't work out with any of those boys, needless to say. Mm. Yeah. Wow. So call me Megan. Call me Megan. And now I don't hear the difference. Is it like so, a Megan, Megan? Yeah. So my parents call me Megan, like an A, Megan. Megan. But Megan. a lot of like people, friends and every like it's M-E. Megan. Right? Like yeah. why would it be Which A? Makes but anyway, people call me shortened. Megan. And I introduce myself both ways, depending on who I'm talking to. Yeah. I feel like Megan is like more sophisticated. Like she's like got her stuff together she like shaves her legs and (laughs) all the way up all the way up to the thighs and (laughs) she just you know answers her emails as soon as she gets them in a timely manner with no anxiety about it whatsoever (laughs) megan doesn't know how to say her name Megan isn't sure how she got into this room to begin with. Yeah, Megan doesn't know that buffaloes exist. Th- those are the two differences. Okay, <laughs> I see what you're saying. I want to immediately take this moment to apologize. If your name is pronounced Megan, we do not think less of you. <laughs> For all the Megans listening, because there's probably so a million many. of you. So many. So many. Very in name for the 80s and 90s. Yeah. Message me. How do you say your name? <laughs> Who are you? Help me. <laughs> this unraveled so, so wonderfully. Now let's wrap Dead. it up. You also wrote yourself next to the conclusion. So <laughs> surprise. <laughs> You're doing that too. 
Thank you for listening to Montessori Moms in the Wild. You can find us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, follow, rate, <laughs> and review. <laughs> for, more, for the record, she cannot see us. <laughs> for more of our content, you can follow us at Montessori. Did you hear that? <laughs> Oh, my goodness. For more of our content, you can follow us at Montessori Moms in the Wild or email us at Montessori Moms. <laughs> oh my goodness. Garrett says you need to start over. <laughs> no, Garrett. She gets one take and I Get leave all take. of it. One take and she has to giggle box on right Unfortunately, now. Megan showed up for this take. Oh, no. <laughs> at Montessori. Well, I was thinking. <laughs> What I was thinking is that nobody ever emails us. <laughs> yeah. We never got one email. Nobody emails us. Email. Just do it. Um, <laughs> I dare you. Montessori Moms in the Wild at gmail.com. We love to hear from you. Until next week, stay wild. <laughs> Thank you. I was like, she's going to do it. She's oh, do the baby. Don't wake up the baby. Look at the baby. <laughs>